So, for instance, when Christ came, even though he was God in the flesh, he took on this position as a son underneath the father's headship. And he submitted himself to what the father's mission was for him, even though that meant a a brutal and painful death. His prayer was, not my will, but yours be done. Brutal and painful death. Nice cue. Well, that's a new button we, I put on my deal here this week. I'm going to push that, make the children scream. No, but that was his posture with his submissive spirit, okay? Satan, on the other hand, was not willing to submit himself to the Father's authority. He felt like he'd been slighted, like he was owed something more than what God had given him. And so in his lack of submission, God cast him out of heaven to roam the earth, So in that earlier sermon, we said that Jesus submitted himself in three ways. He submitted himself to the Father. He said things like, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. He submitted himself to Scripture. He says, I did not come to abolish the law or the Old Testament and the prophets, but I came to fulfill those. And and really, Jesus kind of had to live by a script the script that was laid out for him in the Old Testament of these prophecies that he was going to fulfill. So he didn't just get to come and do whatever he wanted. He had to kind of live according to the story that had been laid out from the beginning of time for his life. So he submitted himself to Scripture. And then finally we said that he submitted himself to his own creation, right? He, he obeyed his mom and dad, who he created. He, he submitted himself and accepted the death sentence of the Roman governor. He paid taxes to Caesar. He, he submitted himself to the trumped-up charges of the Jewish legal, legal council that wanted him dead. And so he set this very clear example of submission, one that we, no matter how much we want to, we can't ignore it because it's right there in front of us all the time. And Peter says in the passage that we just read, he says, Submit to earthly authorities, honor the emperor, live a good life among the pagans so that they'll praise, you know, God because of your behavior in society. And most of us can see the wisdom in that advice. That's probably, that's probably a good thing that we should do. But those commands are, are kind of tame compared to what he's about to say next. So let's look at, at verse 18. He says, Slaves... In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God." So again, we have to remember a little bit of context here, because as as Americans, we tend to think of the institution of slavery only through the lens of what it was like here in our country, which was obviously unjust, a systemic issue where you would go to Africa and you would rob, you know, kidnap people, put them on a ship, float them across the ocean, sell them as property, treat them as animals with no rights. In Roman context, when you see that word slave, it's, it's a very different definition. Okay, most of those folks had agreed to enter into a contract of slavery with a master. Most of them, it's because of debt that they had. And so they would say, okay, I'm going to agree to work for you for a period of time, a specified period of time. A lot of times it was about seven years. 
And during that time, they would get paid by their master for the things that they did. They would also have the opportunity to, to buy their freedom at any time during that contract if they had the money to do that. And then at the end of their time, they were, they were set free. Okay, So very different definition. It wasn't always easy. <laughs> they weren't always treated well, <clears throat> but a much different system than we're used to. But Peter is trying to teach these young Christians something. He's trying to teach them how to suffer injustice in a way that honors God. Why? What's the point? Some of us here this morning, when we, when we think about suffering injustice at the hands of somebody else, I mean, man, there is this spirit in us that just rises up and is being like, oh, I'm not going to be treated unfairly. Like, what does that mean? What is that all about? What is God trying to do here, Right? From a young age, some of the first words that our children utter are a three-word phrase that ends in an F word, right? That's not fair, right? How many of you have had children that have said that to you, right? My kids certainly have, right? That's not fair. Kids don't handle injustice well, right? And as adults, we don't do much better at it either. I can sit, if I'm sitting at a stoplight and it turns green and the person in front of me does not move like that, I am like, I can go crazy, right? Because I just know they're just looking at their phone up there, right? Minding their own business. But I've got, I'm an important person who's got somewhere to be, right? One of the worst injustices that gets done to me in my home is when I go to the freezer and I've got that ice cream that I've been really looking forward to eating and I open up that box and I can tell by the weight of it when I lift it out that there's not much in there. And I open it and there's literally like maybe one bite left, just enough to not have to throw away but not enough for the next person to really enjoy at any level whatsoever. It's horrendous injustice. Can I get a witness? Yes. Don't even get me started on umpires and referees. Tony Mock and I, Tony, I almost warned you that I was going to call you out, but I figured, nah, I'll just let you squirm. Tony and I coached a lot of Little League Baseball together, and we've been thrown out of some of the best ballparks in town on occasion, we didn't feel like our kids were treated fairly, right? <clears throat> now, obviously, those are all, all minor issues in, in the grand scheme of some of the pervasive injustices in our world. And this is a really difficult teaching. When you view it through the lens of some of the societal issues, real issues like racism and violence and neglect and abuse, the stuff that's all over the TV screen and the news right now. Let's look at verse 21. It talks a little bit more about the posture. Peter says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross 
so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And those were difficult words to reconcile for me this week. He says, to this you were called. What's Peter talking about? To this you were called. This is, this is tough. He's basically saying that we were called to be hurt for doing right and to bear up underneath it without bitterness or revenge. We were called to that. People all to talk about, oh, you know, God called me to ministry. People ever talk about this? God calling you to suffer injustice without bitterness or revenge? Why does God do that? Well, I think it's because God knows that evil exists in this world. Which means that fairness and justice will never be complete in our present age. And so as long as we're alive, we will constantly suffer injustice. Peter tries to help us see a way through it in a way that honors God because it's always going to be here. Always. And Peter knows that so many of us will want to justify our anger over the wrongs that have been done to us. He can hear our voices. But I've been slandered and I've been hurt and I've been mistreated. I've been gossiped about. So I have the right to get even. You see, the world's power is violence for violence. Insult for insult. Right? People get shot by cops, so people shoot cops. Peter is talking about a different kind of power. He's talking about a subversive power. He's talking about love that entrusts justice to God. And we shouldn't be surprised by this because Jesus talked about this all the time while he was walking around and doing ministry. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Must. You must lay down your right to get revenge. Whatever rights you think you have to get what you think is fair, if you're going to be my disciple, you must deny yourself that and take up your cross, a symbol, an instrument of death, and follow me. Not like I think it'd be a good idea if you did this. It says you must do this. And then Peter says, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So we are called to this because Christ was called to this. And Jesus didn't show his strength by fighting back overtly. He didn't bring soldiers and armies and weapons against Rome. 
He subverted authority by willingly choosing to die on the cross. And that action was and is counterintuitive, right? The, the Jews in his day wanted him so desperately to overthrow Rome, to put them in their place, to teach them a lesson. Instead, God used Rome to kill Jesus. God used Rome to kill Jesus. And the end result of Jesus bearing up under this unfair injustice, the end result of that was that we were made right with God. We were forgiven once and for all. We were granted eternal life with him. You see, God uses unjust people and unjust systems and unjust authorities to kill things in us. He uses them to kill our pride, our selfishness, our greed. Because in this world, things don't go our way. And we learn the most about ourselves when we are treated the most unfairly, don't we? For me, when I feel slighted, what comes to the surface is really ugly. Because I want to be vindicated, and I want to be apologized to, and I want to be shown respect. But that rarely happens. Spoiler alert, young people. (laughs) You're not going to get what you want most of the time. It's just not fair. So, who am I when life's not fair? Who am I when life's not fair? Do my actions in those moments draw other people to Christ? Do my actions in those moments draw other people to Christ? When Jesus was unfairly arrested and accused of blasphemy, how did he handle it? Peter says he committed no sin. When insulted, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. In the church, we usually do just the opposite of that. When we feel like society is threatening us and our values and our way of life, right? We want the world to accept our morality, So we protest and we condemn and we boycott and we judge the poor values of the world. And Jesus says, suffer. When attacked, make no threats. Things that make you go, hmm, right? I mean, man, this is tough. (laughs) Makes me think a lot about my life and how I respond to things. What did Jesus do, Peter says, instead of lashing back? Look at verse 23. What did he do? Raise your hand when you have it. Yeah, Eric. Yeah, he suffered. And what else did he do? Yeah. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Right? 
Why? Because he knew how the story would end. He knew that he was going to be resurrected. When he went around talking to the disciples on multiple occasions, he says, guys, listen, I have to go to Jerusalem, and I have to suffer and die. But on the third day, God is going to raise me again. He could relax (laughs) because he knew how the story ended. Guys, we know the ending too. Turn your Bibles over to Revelation 21. A couple chapters to your, a couple books to your right there. Revelation 21. This is the Apostle John writing. He gets this vision of a new heaven. Verse 1, he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. You see, in the end, God makes everything right. And those of us who put our trust in him and follow him, we will be rewarded for that. So what does that mean? That means for us now, we don't have to obsess about everything being fair. That doesn't mean that we just sit back and allow evil to go unchecked. And that's where we need wisdom. It just means that we understand that injustice will never be completely eradicated until Christ's return. So we're always going to have to deal with and come to terms with a certain amount of injustice in our world. Jesus' suffering wasn't pointless. It led to glory. In Philippians 2, Paul says that Christ, even though he was God, humbled himself and became obedient to death on the cross. Injustice at its ugliest form, right? But then what happened? Look at what it says. It says, because he submitted himself to that, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. Gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus' last moments were filled with mockery, insults, being spat upon, being looked down on. 
And in the end, he says, you know what? Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. All of us are going to bow down before him. He flipped the tables. What it looked like, submission, weakness maybe, in some people's eyes, God raised up and became this unbelievable strength. Do we trust God with our hurt? Do we trust God with our pain? Do we trust God when things just don't go right in life? Or do we blame him? Do we fight back? Do we try to get even? Do we try to have the last word? How do we handle it? Paul, a guy who obviously suffered all kinds of injustice for for doing the very thing that God called him to do, going around telling people about the gospel, he said this in Romans 8.18. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Whatever it is that we're having to endure, whatever unfairness or injustice we experience in this life, it cannot compare to the glory that will be revealed in us one day. And guys, here's the really ugly truth, okay? I want everybody to really listen right now. All eyes on me. And we have to accept and understand this. Jesus suffered for our evil, our sin, the ways in which we've been unjust towards him. It was unfair that Jesus had to die for me. He did nothing to deserve death for my sin. It wasn't just Rome that killed him. It was me too and you. Likewise then, we are called to participate in that same injustice when we love people that are hard to love, when we obey authorities that we don't respect people who treat us poorly (laughs) and entrust the end result to a God who is loving and just. Flip back to 1 Peter with me. Chapter 3, verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says, Do not repay evil with evil. Or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called. So that you may inherit a blessing. There's that phrase again, right? To this you were called. It's part of the job description, apparently, of being a follower of Christ. And the thing with being a follower of somebody is that we don't get to pick the rules. We don't get to pick and choose which parts of following Jesus we like and dislike, right? This is what we signed up for. And if we engage the world at all, we will suffer injustice. But when we do, we get this opportunity to enter into the Jesus story. We get the opportunity to get a glimpse 
of the injustice that Jesus suffered because of me. By his wounds we have been healed, it says. Look at the benefits that came from Jesus' unjust suffering. Everything that I have in life came from that. My purpose, my hope, my joy, my peace, abundant life. All of that flows from the cross of unjust suffering. So how do we hold up under this difficult calling? Peter gives us a great clue. Flip over to chapter 5, verse 10. He says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after he was suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So you don't have to worry or wonder if you can bear up under the pain of unjust suffering. Because the Christ that is in you, who's already done that very same thing, will give you whatever it is you need to hold your tongue when you need to, to not strike back when you want to, to swallow your pride when you have to. He'll meet you there. John Piper said this regarding this passage. He says, this is not merely a rule to be kept, but a miracle to be experienced and grace to be received. Hmm. I want to transition this idea we've been talking about today into some practical things. And I want to ask you how this way of thinking, bearing up under unjust suffering, how would that or could it potentially play out in your marriage? Those of you that are married, what could that look like? Everybody's a little afraid to say something, aren't they? Yeah. What could that look like? You do. I've heard that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so being quick being quick to forgive right saying you know what god that's your deal right good what else yeah being quick to love absolutely yeah what else yeah Yeah, respecting even though you don't, you don't feel like they've, they've done enough to earn it, right? Yeah. Why? Because God tells us to, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Not keeping score. That's a big one. Yeah. Loving and forgiving is unconditional, right? Not based on what the other person does. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, be consistent in our behavior so they're not always tiptoeing around on eggshells wondering what they're going to get from you. Yeah. What about in just friendships? Those of you that are younger, high school, college age. What does it look like to, to bear up under things that aren't fair in relationships, friendships? I can tell you one thing that comes to mind for me is that even though my sin put Christ on the cross, he pursued me. Right? I mean, he didn't like say, hey, the forgiveness is here. Whenever, whenever you want it, you know, you can come around and find me and we'll talk about it. <laughs> he was relentless in making sure that I understood the grace that, that could be mine. And so when we're hurt in relationships... So often our natural response is to draw away and to kind of sit over in our corner and kind of like let the thing kind of stew a little bit, right? And like, heck, if I'm going to pursue that person and go have a conversation with them and try to smooth it over, mm, no, I'm going to wait right here until they come and they say exactly what I need them to say to make me feel good again, Right? Not if you're following Jesus, folks. <laughs> you're the initiator. You're the one that swallows the pride and says, all right, here I go. Again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. All right? Y'all like this sermon? Good. <laughs> God's going to give the opportunity to use it a lot in life. And the thing is, is, you know, when we come to the communion table, like this is the exact representation of what we're talking about. Like when we participate in this, this is reminding us again and again of the unjust suffering of Christ. And remember, we're not only entering into it and receiving it and saying thank you for dying unjustly for me, but we're also acknowledging that I'm called to do that too. And so when we participate in this, it's a, it's a, it's a two-way thing. We're receiving, but we're also saying, you know what, God, help me to be a person that will bear up under the unjust things or things I feel like are unjust sometimes. Some of them actually are. Some of them we just think are, right? I want to be willing to do that. We're going to give some, some space, some time for quietness. You can just pray and, and just lay out before God what's on your heart today. And um, the ushers will dismiss you to come up. We also have gluten-free um, crackers, and uh, so I'll be holding that uh, tray. If you are gluten-free, you can come and see me in a minute. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this uh, just difficult teaching. God, we don't like to hear that we were called to a life of, of unjust suffering, of being treated unfairly in this world. But Lord, I thank you that you just acknowledge that that's just going to be the truth because we live in a broken world, in a world where evil is allowed to exist. 
And so there's just no way around the fact that that's, that's the way it's going to be. And so we've got to figure out, in the midst of that, how am I reflecting you? And so often it's just not very well. <laughs> and we can't be okay with that. And we can't justify it and come up with all kinds of rationalizations of why it's okay for me to be bitter and angry and harbor all these things against other people. We've got to learn how to trust you who says in the end, I'm going to sort all that stuff out. So Lord, kill those things in us that just don't honor you. Use the people around us, the authorities around us, the situations around us to destroy and kill the sinful things in our heart that don't reflect and honor you. Lord, we just give you this time to just continue speaking to our hearts today.